0: Welcome to CFO Insights. I'm Guy Hutchinson, one of the startup CFO founders and the host of the podcast. In this episode, we meet Nick Rose, CFO at Enable, a fast-growing business, providing a platform for companies to track their rebate schemes. Nick joined Enable just before their Series A, around three and a half years ago, and recently completed a Series C funding round against the backdrop of challenging market conditions. We learn about the importance of customer testimonials and strong retention metrics in any funding round. And as a scale-up CFO, Nick shares his insights on scaling an enterprise and how this changes the culture of a business and can make you think differently about what really counts for your teams. Nick, welcome onto the podcast.
1: Uh, Thanks very much, Guy. Uh, It's great to be here and, and thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm really pleased we could get you on. Uh I mean, you've been um in your current role a couple of years. Um Enable is clearly a really interesting business. Um, really seeing some great growth. You know, and um we were really interested to explore something, which was your C round, right? So we yeah. run a group with um, around about a thousand CFOs in there, and actually um, C rounds are still a rare beast. So um, really interested to hear about your kind of career journey um, and how you've ended up where you are now.
1: Yeah, uh, sh- sure, and, and and thanks for the uh, positive praise there, Claire. Um So my background is uh, uh, trained with EY uh, quite a few years ago. And then I spent um, several years with a company called Travis Perkins in the UK, uh, which is a large construction materials distributor, um, and did several roles there, including uh, some around m um, a FD of the, the Travis Perkins brand itself. And latterly uh, I was the, uh, the group finance transformation director. And uh, through that role, um, I ended up meeting the, uh, the team at Enable, uh, where I am now, um, and actually bought the product and implemented it into Travis Perkins uh, to uh, manage our rebates and trading agreements uh, far better. And uh, long story short, I, I loved the product so much. Uh, I had a chat with the chief executive, Andrew, and said, if you want someone to come and run finance, then uh, then give me a call, and I'm sure enough, he did. Um, so uh, I, I joined uh, just over three and a half years ago, um prior to our uh, series a which was uh, just exactly 3 years ago now um and the last uh, 3 years have been some journey uh, we've we've grown our revenue by over 10 times and um we've managed to uh, also raise a series b and a, and a series c in that time as well uh so yeah joined as cfo uh, still uh, still cfo and um loving uh, loving every minute of it
0: yeah nick that that that's amazing right so we do meet members who are drawn into the company where they take their role um exactly as you've described where they were just impressed by the the way that the product solved a problem like a problem that they understood well as cfo uh yeah. and this triggered something that that made them see that this was going to be a massive opportunity and i think the other part of that is that if you can understand the product and the sort of customer experience from the viewpoint of a customer, it's easier for you to, for example, to partner with the people in product or the people in CS, because you just get that world.
1: Yeah, and I I actually get quite involved in some of the product discussions, um, and in particular, uh, some of the sales conversations that we have when when our team's pitching to a CFO, and, and CFOs are our, our main buyer of the product, um, then uh, my experience comes in really, really useful. And and having been through the whole implementation journey, and most importantly, I guess, seen the positive impact it made uh, post implementation for for a couple of years, um, I can talk uh, from the heart and really understand the pro- the process and the problems that companies have uh, managing their trading agreements and and making sure they get best value out of their their rebate deals. Um, Just as a bit of background at at TP, we had um, over a billion pounds of rebate income from suppliers and and paid um, well over 150 million of of rebate out to customers. Um, And just on the supply side, that was across a thousand different suppliers, two and a half thousand branches, many many thousands many tens of thousands of different products and as a as a, a finance team calculating the rebate due uh, understanding the um, accruals and getting those accurate and and allocating the right rebate to each product and therefore each branch each business each customer supplier in order to get your profitability reporting um, it was incredibly uh, important to do as accurately as you can, but it, but in addition also incredibly difficult to do accurately um, because the company was basically using uh, a system that couldn't cope with the volume um, or the complexity and it was not built for rebates and, and that was the ERP system and our experience is ERP just, just can't cope with, with modern deals and they're, they're not designed to either, it's not their forte um, and it was patched up with a series of huge, complex Excel spreadsheets, which um, obviously have uh, huge um, capacity for human error and data loss and just general making mistakes. Um, so systemizing all of that was, was a real um, real win. And, uh, and that's, that's uh, how we got into needing the product because we had that problem. Uh, couldn't get clear line of sight into our margin um we found enable and uh, and the implementation and the rest of the history
0: yeah it's a great story and, and actually for the context of people listening because not everybody would have worked in an in the type of industry where things like rebates are common it might be worth giving some kind of context as to like why why do certain industries have these big rebate schemes uh and, yeah. and which 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 sectors do you most commonly find the type of thing which enable solves?
1: yeah so so in our our kind of strongest markets at the moment i guess are distributive trades Uh, we serve manufacturers distributors and retailers so the whole vertical Um, but you'll be surprised uh, how few industries don't actually have rebate deals and, and complex trading agreements so pretty much every company has a b2b business relationship with either suppliers or customers And as you scale and grow, those trading agreements become more complex. And as you add complexity, um, the commercial teams add uh, various incentives and discounts and uh, commissions and and other types of, of deals in there to drive behavior. And you can then use your trading agreements as a strategic tool to say, okay, spend more with us will pay you more back in a rebate and that's the simplest format of um, of those deals. Um, so it drives behavior and 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 th- therefore this it, complexity is almost unavoidable because everyone every year starts to have different ideas of how to um, drive different products or focus on slightly different markets because they think the profit pool is uh, bigger or, or easier to uh, to get hold of or just because their strategy, um you know changes subtly each each time around and and the deals you have in place have to keep up with that now what you find is is most people do those deals on a on a word document Um, they will agree them with the supplier or customer and sign them and then chuck them over the fence at some uh, junior finance analyst to interpret the deal and try and decipher how to do the money flow that, that surrounds it and and that's where uh, a lot of the problems start because you can't see the wood for the trees and you can't um, you can't gain any accuracy uh through the uh through the programming of an excel document uh from instructions on a on a on a signed flat contract um what our product does is actually the, the deal itself originates from within the system so those kind of misconceptions and, and mistakes on interpreting what the terms are uh, physically can't happen. So the, the calculations have to be correct. And and what that then leads to is uh, far, far fewer disputes with your trading partners and you can spend more time um, focusing on, on what makes your uh, business sing and, and tick and really uh, mutually beneficial uh, trading agreements, which which help both sides of the equation.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, Nick. So, uh, so essentially, the platform produces the the kind of legal agreement with the commercial components in it, and mm-hmm. then provides the complete control environment for how the calculations will be done yeah. and how data is exchanged between partners. Exactly um, that it
1: does <laughs> all the calculations and and it um, creates the financial accruals and cash postings um and all of that that side of things as well
0: yeah that sounds incredible and 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 so it's kind of one of those platforms where a cfo can genuinely say this is a profit driver because many of those errors presumably would have meant that they had lower profits in the end
1: yeah exactly that you miss rebates you don't claim them when you could have done um, and i've personally uh, sat in in a big business where the um the impact in the first year was in the millions of pounds.
0: Yes, incredible. Yeah, and, and and just to go back to um, ERPs that you hinted at three or four minutes back, uh, does this integrate with ERPs? Because it sounds like ERPs yeah. don't, don't do this type of thing, um, but, but presumably there's some kind of integration needed. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're, we're ERP agnostic uh, is the phrase, and we have native integrations for a growing number of ERPs. Uh, where we don't, we can uh, just use SFTP um regular file transfers and uh it's very very smooth process in and out
0: yeah incredible so look um it sounds like a great product to solve a feature of 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 certain industries but 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 perhaps not all Um, it's very interesting it's kind of like solving a cfo shaped thing which i think kind of really you know, resonates with our group. Um, the thing that I'm really interested to unpick though is the Series C, right? So it, it, yeah. it sounds like you joined a bit before the A round, so you got you got your badges in the A and the B round, really getting your head around what it takes for the finance person to lead on the funding. I think we all know that the, the bigger later funding rounds are a bit more serious, the business has got more substance, there's a bit more for the CFO to have to demonstrate, for example. Um, It would be really interesting just to sort of like, have you set the scene about, when did you know that a C round was on the cards? What were the criteria that allowed you to um, realize you could plan for that? It'd be great to unpick those components.
1: Yeah. um, So I guess, you know, start with, with what the diligence and the process felt like for series A um to, to paint the picture of how it changed i suppose and and the the series a consisted of um really speed dating uh, as many vcs as we could um find a few contacts get them to introduce you to more and, and more and more and you you find those two or three vcs that are, are super interested in your business um and their diligence at that stage was around are we a real company do we have a real product? Um, is it beginning to be road tested? Um, you know, we've only had a small number of customers at that point. Um, the deck itself was pretty short, but it spells the vision out. And And I, f- I feel that Series A's are, are obviously far higher risk um, in terms of the, the investment the VCs are making. Um, and they're based on uh, almost as much belief in the, uh, leadership team as they are in the um, the kind of track record of the product because the product often isn't really um, fit for market or, 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 or got uh, real traction at that point in time. Now, we, we had about um, 25 customers at the time and uh, just over 2 million of, of ARR. And we were really lucky to uh, find uh, two great Really, really great investors, um, and and their diligence was was like I say it was it was more around, um, yes, look at the financials, but that was pretty brief, um, not much around the company structure and do we have the right people processes and that sort of thing, um, but all about the uh, the opportunity and belief in the team. Then you fast forward to the Series C. Um, and, and you know hugely detailed diligence um you know it was, it was quite an inspection in terms of uh, looking at the financials explaining variances um, for a couple of years we had a freehold property on our books and that that was kind of picked up and said well why have you invested money in property when you could be investing in the products um and and we we'd actually sold it six months earlier so that kind of went away but there was, there was really detailed into our, our um, kind of people contracts, the way we, we treated our people. Do we have the evolving processes that you'd expect in a company that's maturing? Um, so you know, we've, we've got a lot of um, evidence now in, in terms of our totally addressable market. So we've done some research and the market is, is huge and we could point at that and prove it um we had uh, around 100 customers by that stage um so product market fit we had customers who'd been on for several years and you know they did a, a lot of talking to our actual customers and finding out things about us without us introducing so there was a lot of uh, kind of through the back door introductions um there was a lot of uh, ESG questions so I had at least three or four conversations with a, a firm that specializes in ESG diligence. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the focus, however, was still on what's the size of the opportunity? Um, you know, how's how's your market looking? What's the competition landscape look like? Um, and, and, you know, what's your sales motion? Do we still believe in you as a senior leadership team? Um, but uh, yeah the, the detail the appendices the being sure of our sas metrics um that was all uh, that was all really invasive and and uh, an experience but when they're investing many millions of, of, of dollars into your business then then so it should be
0: yeah absolutely nick um I think we we see these trends, right? That there's a certain amount of respect is earned by the CFO, but the fact that they are going through all of these checks and it's a true kind of diligence process. And it's very interesting that you shine a spotlight on things like ESG and the people components, because actually uh I mean I, I was doing my first fundraisers uh from VCs 15 years ago, and they were not features of funding rounds 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh and there's there's a little bit of a sense that um, even on say a B round, there's some maturity coming from the investors in looking for um, a broader spectrum of things that are indicating that you are doing the right things and building a great business.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, and and they were very keen on on that. It was it was there. Were, there were three sets of questions uh, that we had from from the Insight Partners who led the round, and um, you know, one around focusing on financials, one on um, Commercial, you know, uh, so financials and legal structure, commercial, and uh, that was including you know, sales processes, um, sales motion, and, and the market size uh, and product fit, and and a lot about the product itself. And the third one was all about ESG, and it was it was really refreshing and, and great to have that um, that kind of examination because there were there were some things that we were doing very well already um and some things we were probably a little bit short on and and you know we learned from that and the benefit of bringing in um a really uh, large and and established uh, venture group like insight um as well as uh, Menlo norwest sierra that we already had was the network they give and the support that they can give us is uh, is huge um, you know they're they're a new york based firm they've got over six hundred investments but the the networking of experts and knowledge as well as just the cash investment is is really critical and that that helped us choose them as a partner
0: yeah that sounds that sounds like a you know great fit i know that we've got um at least one other person in my personal networks had an investment through insight and has been really impressed by them so you know, it's always yeah. it's always great when you get get a similar feedback from completely different investments it means that they really are doing things that they claim to do which is great um which isn't <laughs> always the case in vc world uh, so um so a c round in 2022 which i think will go down in the history of um venture-backed yeah, tech as, there weren't many yeah there weren't many but also very tough year to be out there fundraising there are plenty of people who went out and did 50 to 100 meetings and didn't raise so would be interesting just to sort of Condense some of your learnings to like what What were the things that even in that very tough climate y- your team could could succeed on, even though the market was kind of tricky?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, first off, I, i on speaking to the the VCs, the cash bank, the 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 amount of cash they have is is still around. There is still cash there. What's changed is they're being far more picky on who to back, and they want um, far stronger metrics uh, than than previously they w- they would have gone for, and far one, one, want want I, I think the maturity expectation of the business is higher than it, it sounds like it previously was. Um, and and even though uh, we we were speaking to insights at the Series B. Um, which was led by a firm called Norwest, who are also fantastic. Um, but uh, they came back and preempted us at Series C uh, in May 2022. Um, we closed in June with them. But at that point, we still had space in the round, and it, it still took us a further three months um, until we, we finally closed the round out in early October. Um, and in the end, we were, were lucky enough to to find um sufficient follow-on investors to um oversubscribed around by about 20 percent uh, so we raised more than we more than we went out to set out to do um, and it gives us a real feeling of confidence and belief in our product that we're able to do that um, but but in terms of you know what's changed and, and what do you have to be ready for is it, 2023 is still a really tough space valuations are well down. Don't don't expect the crazy valuations that that kind of ended in early or mid 2022. Um, SaaS companies are laying people off to conserve cash. Uh, We're actually one of the few out there who are actively hiring that we we know of. But to get in the door, um, I think you've got to be super clear about your strategy, the scale of your ambition, uh, how your product actually solves a real problem and creates real ROI, not just, um, oh, maybe there's an efficiency in here, but can you truly point to the return that your product gives your customers? And can it be measured? And do you have customers that sing your praises because they have felt the benefits that you, you have? Um, be super clear also on your metrics. Um, you know, this, there's a, there's a, a standard set of, of Software metrics that that you can find on any good website, and be super clear on on what they are, which direction of travel they're moving in with your plan, and how you've calculated them, and and you know don't don't make any mistakes with that because if you do calculate wrongly or or have something that doesn't add up, though it will be found and you'll, you'll be you'll be found out. Um, the quality of your pitch, uh, practice it really road test it on people in the know and and, you know find people who are who will help you out with that um and the the more fine-tuned your pitch and the more it addresses the questions that vcs generally will ask then the better position you're going to be
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense nick so there's there's two things i really want to uh work through there because i think they're super interesting and i think people that listen to um our podcast would be intrigued by this so the first one is this. So, so I think the world of SaaS metrics is quite well understood. And you hinted at, you know, you can just go online and just find those things. Like, it's not, it's not a big lesson. It's quite an easy thing to mm-hmm. understand. I think the the thing that's intriguing is, uh, was there one one metric that you can share that you felt really changed the kind of, yeah, really changed the dynamic in the room that, that really impressed the VCs that um, would have led a C round?
1: Yeah. Uh, um i've not really considered it that way i I guess Uh i I guess the one that that we um that that they always do refer to in board meetings and and you know they they place a lot of uh reliance on um you know there's ar growth there's um there's all of that but but net retention um and and actually for us gross retention is is really really strong so our our gross retention is up at the 98 and a half 99 level and has been consistently over the last three years and what that means is customers once they are in and using our product are not leaving um you know we've had a couple of of, of small churns uh one or two of those where the customers actually unfortunately um not not survived the pandemic um, there's a there's one where they got acquired and and the acquiring company made them um, uh, switch off at the end of the contract. But by and large, all of our customers stay with us and all of them uh, get value. Therefore, and that's proving that they're getting value from the product. So our hot, very high gross retention figure is, is really, really great. The one I think they're, they're really starting, well, the two I think they're really starting to, to focus on and think about as we, and this is as we mature as a company, is um, the CAC payback, customer acquisition cost payback. So how quickly do our our customers' um, contracts with us pay back on the efforts it takes to win those contracts? Um, and the second one is cash efficiency. So, you know, how, how much cash are we burning versus the uh, ARR that we're adding? Um, and I, I think that's a combination of, um, they are two leading metrics of efficiency, and, and in the world where cash needs to be conserved better, they're re- they're elevating their their importance. Um, but also, as we we get further down the track as a mature, more mature company, then uh, we have to prove that um, we have a, a, a ultimately a path to profitability. So, seeing those two metrics moving in the right direction, I think was really important for the Series C
0: yeah that that's a fascinating combination and and you explain that um in a really clear and interesting manner right so what what you're saying is uh you you build a product that was incredibly sticky so you've got very high retention that that impresses vcs even when times are difficult Uh, and then on top of that you've got a healthy cac so the cost to acquire a new customer to ltv relationship because ltv is typically high when you've got very high retention uh, yeah. but also you don't have that thing that we saw i think we saw it in, in a lot of companies in 2020 uh cac TV might have looked kind of okay but there was a lot of burn and so the the cash efficiency point that you hinted at earlier the cash efficiency wasn't there and probably that would spook people in current times yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and and with i mean our our um cac is is still longer than we'd like uh, but it's moving the right direction and and the same with our efficiency. We we actually um, aren't really uh, calculating LTV in a, a meaningful way right now because we have such um, we don't we don't have an end date for the contracts uh, because people aren't churning.
0: Oh, infinite and, LTV? Surely not.
1: Well, maybe <laughs> may, maybe one day you never know. But um, but, but actually, when we, we say that to, to people, it, it's actually you know that. You know, okay that's a totally plausible explanation why you haven't put it on your on your key metrics
0: yeah and also really exciting to be frank yeah yeah, yeah. really good yeah yeah so so it really sounds like you had an amazing journey. i've got one last question on the C point because i i know from the conversations that we see from our members in slack that this is quite a common thing that people i think often ask but they often ask it in a very coy careful manner and that's about Practicing a pitch. So my my personal experience is that um, C suites don't love practicing presentations. I don't know why, because everybody should practice, right? But people don't love to practice. I'm intrigued. Who did you find? Uh, not 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 you personally, but 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 the team. Who did you find to practice with ahead of meeting these funds?
1: Um, well, we road tested it on each other first. Um, the I suppose the difference for us is our CEO and our um, president of sales are they they love pre- presenting they they're really um, tuned to it and, and our CEO in particular will practice again and again to get it right um, and and then secondly we road tested it on our existing investors and asked them to be really harsh to us and and you know tear us apart with, with as tough questions as they could. Um, and once we got it to a point where we could stand up to that you know, examination, we gained the confidence to um, to go to go forward.
0: That is interesting. Yeah, find 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 somebody that you're happy to say we're going to practice with you. Be harsh, we will learn. Um, that's um, it's important that you've got relationships like that that yeah. that, that, that that you can leverage. Um, very interesting, Nick. Very interesting. So, look, um, when we chatted a couple of weeks back. Uh, I gather that a lot of the growth going forward is gonna be in North America. Uh, and there's there's a little bit of um, some kind of business transformation from what was originally a UK focused business a few years back to being something more yeah. global. Um, how is how is all of that panning out?
1: Uh, really good. Um, I mean, we became a North American first company uh, alongside the Series A, um, you know, the Californian investors uh as part of it we had to have a um a, a, a top code based in delaware with um a small office in san francisco and that's kind of remains the the corporate key office but we've also north america is by far our, our largest market um obviously it's, it's huge uh, in terms of the market but also in terms of the uh propensity for businesses over there to invest in uh, improvement software. Uh, We think the the process is easier and and it's moving faster. Um, So we've opened up a a, a real hub area in Toronto, uh, in Canada, uh, where we we now, it's getting on for 40% of our people, having just opened it, Um, we employed our first person there two years ago. Um, So around 200 now. And it's uh, it's growing fast, um, so market size is 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 really the uh, focus, and ultimately, you know, one of our goals is to uh, to to head towards an IPO um, at some point in the medium future, um, and it's going to be in North America uh, for sure, and uh, so we, we we need to be located there, and our accounts have to be prepared on a US GAAP basis, and we have to. Um, really, uh, I think one of the the key things with with this success over there is with investors or um, heading towards IPO is is simply pattern recognition. So if we look right and and are acting right, then it it breaks down a lot of barriers. Um, And and with that, I'm personally actually relocating to uh, Toronto in three or four months' time uh, with the family to be close to the market, close to where our growth is um and from a time zone perspective um you know dealing with the external advisors and and actually our big customer base um it's important for me to be over there uh so so that's that's happening as well
0: yeah it's a big big change and uh, exciting for you and for your family as well right it's a, a big transition and, and we tend to see this in other companies that that reach the kind of scale that you guys are at, where broadly there's a point where the US is so important uh, that it just makes sense to to be there and to be in that time zone and to be able to kind of operate locally and build your culture locally in that big market. Um, and of course, I, w- I would imagine you know it's not completely inconceivable that you could be listed in three years time. Uh, and at the kind of recurring revenue number that you would have, knowing um, what we know about, for example, the European markets and their attitude to tech stocks, and the U.S. markets and the way that they look at tech stocks, that, that you would almost certainly be drawn, you know, towards a U.S. listing of some kind or other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The valuations are just astronomically different.
0: Yeah, it kind of leaves you no choice, right? <laughs> you, yeah, you were. You were, you were um, it's really hard to look at other markets when U.S. markets value tech businesses like that. Yeah.
1: that- and, and that's the case, right? Right from the outset, from Series A, was we, we we did have some conversations with UK PE houses. We'd have raised a small amount of money for a large slice of our equity, and uh, the, you know in 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 the U.S. it was what felt like a, a very large amount of money for a much smaller slice of equity. So it's almost a no-brainer um and actually our our ceo is english and and he moved out um to live in san francisco three years ago when we did the a
0: yeah and 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 that's that that's good that he had gone so early right because because that is quite early we we get a lot of ceos going out i think after a b round um but to go at the a is 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 definitely early but it also it was quite symbolic wasn't it that um that was the direction of the future and so for other people that joined in yeah in in senior roles a bit later on um the the general direction of travel assuming things went well was clearly heading out west exactly that yeah 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 very very interesting nick um so look it, it's it's really good to um hear about how things have panned out you know clearly enables a great business and going somewhere uh it's solving a problem that i i wasn't very familiar with but um now i've got my head around the kind of behavioral elements of why you've got rebates in certain industries and why they're really significant quantum in terms of the final kind of profits you seek to make um it's a big thing that's being solved and it It seems nuts that five or ten years ago people were on spreadsheets to try to track these things Uh, i guess um the point that would be interesting just to end on nick if that's okay is just to sort of distill you know if you had two or three lessons to sort of um pass down to somebody who might be fd or cfo of a series a business who knows that they've got the b round and the c round coming the next three four years um you know are there a couple of things that you just say hey look you know uh, these are the things that i probably wish i'd known back then
1: um, I think I think just be be really well researched on the questions you're going to get asked. Um, I think not all of them are about uh, you know how fast can you grow, and uh, it's about how are you going to grow on a, a s- sustainable and scalable way. So uh, you can kind of get to a Series A scale. Um, almost by brute force from a small number of people doing everything um we're we're now approaching 500 people uh whereas at least series a we had about 70 and you know that that scale means you have to deliver through your people and be ready to to really show how you're planning to do that and and what your your plans are and you know what are you doing around that so from a, a a team perspective. Um we we now uh, carry out regular pulse surveys, um we've launched a DEI committee with improved benefits, we're doing regular performance reviews. And those are all essential things to make sure our wider team feel that they belong. Um, and 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 that's that's a massive gain for any company, not just from from the uh the the, the engagement we get but the the um the way that work then happens um and i I think um that is a a big step forward for us uh so really important to do
0: yeah that is interesting because i think that 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 pattern lines with things that we've heard elsewhere where the minute you're breaking like a hundred people in terms of head count uh you've got to invest very heavily in looking after those people and uh focusing on things like you know learning and development and benefits and giving these people a reason to work for your business rather than somewhere else uh and, and and probably around series a time it's a bit scrappier people are working hard um but it's a small team and life is not too complicated and there's a little bit of zeal in the fact it's a business that was started you know a couple of years back and some of that zeal yeah. fades a bit later um, but that's all the more reason to invest more heavily yeah. as you reach these kind of 100 200 300 numbers in headcount you have no cho- choice but to be much more considerate around how you support those people
1: yeah you, you have to have real process in place and you know it, when we were about 100 people i reckon I, I i would have known every one of them personally uh, you know recognize them know their name um and and what they do uh, now I've got no chance um, to, to keep to keep up with the growth, and and so it's it's now about how you listen to your people from a systematic point of view and make sure that they um, are feeling developed and and valued and that they belong in in the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Nick. Uh, those are are wise words, and I think a lot of our members who are in a scale up business kind of realise that uh, over time more and more. Of your 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 work becomes to kind of ensure those people are supported, and that as you bring on more hires, you're doing this with a great culture, and that there's a lot of you know positive affirmation between people that have been with you a couple of years and people that joined you last week. Um, yeah. Nick, this has all been really interesting. Like, I've I've really enjoyed talking through your Series C story. Um, Enable clearly is a great business going somewhere. Um, I love the fact that you kind of picked it from a customer experience in your previous role. I think that, that that's quite unusual and quite interesting. And uh, um, I love that part of your story. Uh, and um, I know we could talk all day, but um, our podcasts are typically probably this way. Okay. So I just have to thank you for being our guest on the podcast.
1: Thanks ever so much for having me, Guy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Nick.
0: You were listening to CFO Insights, brought to you by Startup CFO. If you're a finance professional working in disruptive tech and would like to join our global network, visit our website at startupcfo.tech to learn more. This podcast was a part of our CFO Insights series of discussions. If you want to know more about the Startup CFO group, follow us on LinkedIn to learn more about our community and the upcoming events. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.